Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on August 13th, 2023, on the basis of Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. The reading for this morning is from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. It says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them, him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake, When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is God's word. Can we just admit uh, for a second that miracles can be parts of the gospel that we find difficult to apply to our own life? Without a doubt, miracles show the amazing power of Jesus and that he's truly the, the Son of God. And yes, that's incredibly meaning for us, meaningful for us. I'm not attempting to discount that at all. But if, if that's the sole takeaway of miracles, then why do we have so many different miracles recorded in Scripture? But wouldn't just one or two suffice for that purpose? Yet we do have a fair number of miracles recorded in Scripture. And yes, they they proclaim again and again and again that Jesus is not just true man, but he is God in the flesh. But there is even more that we can squeeze out of these miracle accounts, which is exactly what we're going to do today with an incredibly well-known miracle account of Jesus walking on the water. So this whole account starts with Jesus going off alone to pray, which is something that he often does. Time alone with his father was essential for him, especially as things began to heat up. You see, early in Jesus' ministry, when he would heal people, he would heal them and then he would tell them, don't go tell anyone what you have just witnessed, what I've just done for you. Which maybe seems strange to us, but silence was an essential part of the early part of Jesus' ministry. Because as soon as people started to to hear about him, as soon as word began to spread about him, his enemies would start lining up to plot against him. Well, we're in Matthew chapter 14 this morning, so we're halfway through the book of Matthew, uh, probably about halfway through Jesus' ministry, and he has accumulated a fair amount of enemies. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, they can all be numbered among uh, Jesus' enemies. But early in Matthew chapter 14, we, we hear of another enemy of Jesus, another enemy that he made, but kind of a, a weird uh, it, it was a weird way that he made this enemy. It was Herod. A different Herod than the Herod that, that killed the babies in, in Bethlehem. Uh, but this Herod 
had killed John the Baptist. Uh, so he was equally as, as brutal. He killed John the Baptist, and, and after killing John the Baptist, he heard about Jesus and the miracles that Jesus was doing. And he actually thought that Jesus was John the Baptist reincarnated, which put Jesus in danger. So Jesus goes off to a solitary place to pray and probably for safety too. But, but here's the thing about Jesus. He's so popular by this point. He had gained such a following at this point that it's kind of hard for him to get away. Kind of hard for him to be by himself. And so he goes off to the solitary place to pray, uh, but a crowd of people follow him. He can't get out of the public eye. He doesn't have that, that time of solitude to go pray and talk to his, his father. Uh, and instead, he has a crowd of people that, that he heals their sick. He, he teaches them about the kingdom of God. And he ends up feeding all of them. In one of the more memorable miracle accounts, Jesus feeds 5,000 people, which is kind of even a misnomer because 5,000 was just the number of men that were there. There were also women and children there, and Jesus fed them too. So we're talking maybe 10,000 or more people that Jesus fed with five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish. An amazing miracle. But after this miracle's done, Jesus is going to dismiss the crowd, and that brings us to our text for today. He's going to dismiss the crowd and he's going to have the disciples go on ahead of him because he is, wants to pray and he wants to be alone. And when we say alone, we mean really alone, not just away from the crowds, uh, but, but also away from the disciples. He wants to be alone and talk with his father. So in verse 22, Matthew starts off by saying, immediately. Now, you'll see that word if you read through Mark's gospel. You'll see it a lot. He uses that word all the time. But in Matthew's gospel, he doesn't use it quite as much. When Matthew uses the word immediately, he signals, he's signaling with that word, hey, you, pay attention. This is important. And then right after immediately, it says, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. The disciples had to be a little relieved, honestly. It had been awesome to see Jesus heal people, to listen to him teach and to see him feed thousands of people. That is certainly something they, they never got tired of, of witnessing. But they had to be physically tired. It had been a long couple of days. Uh, I don't know if you've, you've been in a, a crowd of people for as, as long as they had, but it can be exhausting and exhilarating at the same time. But now that they were going to get some time in solitude in the boat with just the disciples, they would hopefully have some, some time to rest away from the crowds. Or that's what they thought. But little did they know. Little did they know what lie ahead of them. But, but Jesus did. Take a look at verse 22. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. He made them. He knew what would happen to them. He's true God after all. And, and he made them. He compelled them to get into the boat. And the disciples, they, they had no reason to doubt. They trusted Jesus. And besides, he was asking them to do a pretty innocuous thing. Get into the boat and go on ahead. Uh, remember, a fair number of the disciples were fishermen. So they, they probably felt more comfortable on a boat than they did on land sometimes. But as the day wore on into the night, that boat that the disciples boarded, as the text says, was a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. What do you think the disciples are thinking at this point? 
There are few situations in life, I would imagine, that, that where you feel more helpless than being on a boat when you're caught in a storm. There's really nothing you can do. The wind and the waves are going to keep, keep beating against you and you can't do anything. All you can do is hope that you run aground or hope that the storm stops. Paddling harder does nothing. Changing the sails that does nothing. None of it does any good. You kind of wonder at what point the disciples uh, started wondering, why was it that Jesus sent us out here? It seemed like he, he kind of insisted that we go out here. Why do you want us to go out here so badly? You kind of wonder if those those questions were lingering in the back of their head as this boat was buffeted by the waves, as the wind crashed against the boat again and again and again. This had to wear on them. They were already tired when they got into the boat, and now they're dealing with this too. And it was not a short amount of time. Jesus dismissed them, dismissed the crowd, and sent them on ahead while it was still day. So the Jewish day ended at 6 p.m., so it had to be sometime before that. It could have been even a long time before that. It could have been in the morning. And it says that Jesus walked out to them on the water in the fourth watch of the night, which was between 3 and 6 a.m. So we're saying, let's say he dismissed the crowd at 6 p.m., and he came and walked on the water at 3 a.m. That's at least nine hours. They, they were probably out there for even longer. So they had to be physically exhausted. At what point do you think the disciples began to wonder if God was against them? Hour one, three, five, seven, nine? At what point in their state of tiredness and fear do you think they started to doubt God's intentions? You see, they knew that he controlled the wind and the waves. They, they believed that. So why are they faced with imminent death as the storm continues to rage? All because they're doing what Jesus compelled them to do. You know, I'm going to guess that, that it doesn't take too much effort to find something relatable in the disciples here. What are the wind and the waves in your life? What is it that keeps raging against you again and again and again? What is it that makes you wonder if God is for you or against you? You may ask, if God is in control of all things, why am I faced with what I'm faced with? If God is in control of all things, why does my health constantly plague me? If God is in control of all things, why does it feel like I'm always dealing with a, a, an emergency of some sort? If God is in control of all things, why does it feel like I'm trying to tread water, but I'm failing? I'm drowning. The truth is, the truth that we can walk away with and apply to our heart today is that the storms of life can bring to the forefront the storms that rage in your heart and here. Because you know what? You have a conscience and your conscience confirms to you that you deserve the storms. Your conscience tells you that you have not met God's standard, not even close. And because you have not met God's standard, you deserve his punishment. So your conscience testifies to the fact that God would be completely justified in letting the storm consume you. Just let that marinate for a bit. Let that, let that sink into your heart as we move on with the rest of the story. So the storm continued to rage when all of a sudden the disciples saw walking on the water in a distance someone. 
Now, let's be a little charitable to the disciples here. They'd never seen someone walk on the water before. So uh, the conclusion they came to, while seemingly kind of strange, um, it's probably understandable based on the fear. They said, it's a ghost. And so they have fear on top of fear here. But, but look at verse 27. You see that word again. You see immediately, which is Matthew's way of saying, hey, you pay attention, listen up. What's coming next is important. Then Jesus says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. These words of Jesus are are three sentences, two encouragements and one source of the encouragement. The the encouragements are on the the front end and the back end here. Take courage, don't be afraid. But the source of encouragement is right in the middle. It is I. Think about that. Jesus walks into the middle of the storm. And speaks. And when he speaks, he expects the disciples to find courage in knowing that it is him. He is there. Just when they may have begun to doubt, just when they have begun to think that God was against them, there Jesus speaks and there Jesus points them to himself. When life feels like one storm after another, when you begin to wonder if God is against you, Jesus speaks. He speaks in the whisper of his word and he invites you to take courage in who he is because Jesus is the embodiment of the truth that God is for you. If you ever wondered if God is for you or against you, Jesus is proof positive that he is for you because God sent his son for you to save you. And in that we find the calm that Paul would later write in Romans If God is for us, who can be against us? And what we see next proves that knowing and trusting who Jesus is produces great courage, even in the storms. After Jesus said what he said, Peter calls out to him, but his request is not what you'd expect. He knows that Jesus has the power to calm the storm. He's seen him do it before. But he doesn't ask Jesus to calm the storm. Instead, he he tells him, he says to him, tell me to come to you on the water. You see, Peter believes and trusts that when Jesus tells him to do something, that Jesus will help him accomplish it. And at the word of Jesus, Peter walked on the water. The storm continued to rage, but Peter walked right through it. In faith, eyes fixed on Jesus. Until. Until he began to notice the wind again. And as soon as he did, he began to doubt. And as soon as he began to doubt, he sunk into the water. Listen. The Christian life is not linear, meaning it doesn't slowly get better. It's not a steady climb up. There's ups and downs. There's failures and triumphs. There's moments where doubts again plague you. Is God really for me? Even as these storms rage. But when doubt comes, your Lord not only speaks to you in the whisper of his word, but in his grace and with his forgiveness, he reaches down and pulls you up. He rescues you. That's what he did in the waters of baptism today for Leo. He reached his hand down in his grace and saved Leo from death. Saved him from the jaws of of death. That's exactly what was happening in baptism. Leo did not do something of merit today. But God completely worked through through the sacrament of baptism and saved him. That's what you're experiencing in the Lord's Supper today. 
By coming up to communion, you are not doing something that merits something from God. But God, in his grace, is reaching down his mighty arm and saving you, extending you his forgiveness, just as he did for Peter. As soon as Peter began to sink, Jesus pulled him up. He rebuked him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Certainly it's a rebuke. We should take that as a rebuke too and apply it to our own hearts for the times that we've doubted. But we should always hear the sweetest gospel hidden in these words. Jesus says, why did you doubt? Because Peter had no reason to doubt. This was Jesus after all. Jesus is perfectly reliable, perfectly trustworthy, and he always, always has your best interests at heart. You also have no reason to doubt. That doesn't mean that doubts won't still come. But what it does mean, it means that Jesus will rescue you from those doubts. He will, through the whisper of his word, remind you who he is and who you are through him. So, yeah, another miracle. Another miracle where you you are led to confess that Jesus is God in the flesh, the Son of God, as it were. But this miracle gives you even more. You worship a Savior who is in control who loves you, who you can trust, and who rescues you from your sin, rescues you from doubt. Like the disciples, let's worship him. Amen. Hey, Pastor Wilkie here. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Hey, could you do us a favor? Could you hit like or, or subscribe on wherever you're listening to this podcast? That really helps us get seen by more people so that more people might hear about Jesus and, and hear the same message that you're hearing. We hope you, you come back and, and enjoy a, another sermon next week. God bless.